This week, if you would have asked me that about a month or two ago, I probably would have said, you know, when, when I found out my wife loved me and she agreed to say yes and marry me, you know, that was, that was pretty great news. And, and then I remember, you know, uh, nine years ago when, when the doctor said, it's a boy. And I just remember when my first child was born, my son Caleb, just how my heart just was just overjoyed. And then a year and a half later, my daughter's born, Addie. The doctor says, it's a girl. What great news. My heart was just overwhelmed with love hearing that incredible news. And then I, and I thought about how, you know, just seven years ago, seven years ago, I got a call from Pastor Rick. And Pastor Rick, Sunday afternoon, seven years ago, he called. He said, Jason, the church voted unanimously to call you as our next adult ministries pastor. And I just remember just being so overwhelmed with joy at the trust that you had put in me and our family to come and serve you here. Great news, all great news. But I'll tell you something, friends, the best news I've ever received, the best news I've ever received was about a month ago. Kim and I were at an oncologist appointment and the oncologist told us, Kim, you have stage three breast cancer and you're facing three months of chemotherapy followed by surgery and radiation and I'll tell you, friends, when we received that news, it was the greatest news I had ever heard. I literally felt like I had been born again. You see, because only a few days earlier, we were at Kim's personal doctor, and the initial reports that we had gotten when we found out that she had cancer were not very good. And Kim's personal doctor had told us that we needed to prepare for the worst. And so I spent three days thinking, man, I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to tell my kids that their mom's not going to be around much longer. Friends, can you imagine the overwhelming joy that I experienced when that doctor told me that we had a chance, that we could fight this thing? Yes, it was going to be a long, hard battle, but at the end, the hope was that we were going to completely cure Kim of her cancer. It was the greatest news I'd ever heard. I, I literally, I felt like I'd been born again. And friends, what made that news so good? What made that news so good was the reality that the bad news that we were facing was so desperately bad. You know, have you ever had a similar experience where you've been surprised with good news when you were expecting the bad? You know, maybe, maybe not cancer, but maybe another medical diagnosis where, where you were expecting bad news and, and the doctor came out and gave you a good report? surprised you with good news or, or maybe, maybe a, a car repair, you know, and, and you're expecting to get this big car repair bill and the mechanic comes back a couple days later and says, hey, it's not so bad. And you're thinking, this is great. I was expecting to pay. Or maybe, how about this one, students, you know, you, you, you walk out of an exam and you're just convinced that you just failed that test, right? And you show up at class a few days later and your instructor gives you your paper back and, hey, I got a decent grade on this thing. Great news, right? Or how about this one? I think all of us can probably relate to this one. How about a great tax refund when you were expecting to pay, right? You know what I'm saying, right? You see, friends, good news is so good, especially when the possibility of the bad news is so bad. There's nothing like good news. There's nothing like good news, especially when it meets us in the face of the bad. Pastor Matt Chandler, in his book, Recovering Redemption, uh, the series that we're going through in our summer ABF, in his book, Recovering Redemption, he says, in order for the good news to be good, it must invade bad spaces. He says, bad news is the backdrop against which good news really shines. Isn't that true? Bad news is the backdrop against which good news really shines. 
Now here's the, here's the deal, friends. Today, we're gonna talk some bad news. All right, and it's, and it's, it's really bad. I'm gonna tell you that. It's really, it's really bad. But we're also gonna talk some good news. And the good news we're gonna talk today, oh man, it is good. It's really good. And more specifically this morning, as we move forward in our study of the book of Zechariah, we're gonna come to a passage today, Zechariah chapter three, that's gonna highlight for us the most significant bad news that we all face, the baddest of the bad news. But it also highlights for us the greatest of the good news, the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a great passage, friends. And if you didn't know, that's what the word gospel means, by the way. The word gospel, it literally means good news. And we're gonna see here in Zechariah chapter three this morning, the reality of the gospel and how it really is. It is the greatest of all good news. Now, I'm guessing that when you hear the word gospel, for most of us here this morning, the book of Zechariah probably isn't the first thing that comes to mind, am I right? right? But what we're gonna see this morning is the gospel, it's right here. It's there in Zechariah. And friends, it's crystal clear. It's an incredible Old Testament prophetic vision of what is to come in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's awesome. We're going to see it crystal clear this morning. But to help us fully appreciate the good news that we're going to see revealed in Zechariah 3 today, I want us to first make sure that we all understand very clearly the reality of the bad news that we're all faced with. Right? For the good news to shine as brightly as it shines, friends, we need to first understand very clearly the reality of the dire situation that we all find ourselves in because you, you don't, maybe don't realize that, but we are in bad, bad trouble this morning. Our situation is dire. But we do have good news. Now, to help us understand the reality of the bad news we're faced with this morning, I've got a little illustration set up on stage for us, but I'm gonna need some volunteers this morning, all right? I'm, gonna need, I'm actually gonna need three guys to help me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on some of our, our dads this morning, some guys. So I need three guys to help me. Live sermon illustration this morning. Can I get three volunteers? Just raise your hand if you're okay. I see a couple. Uh, Todd, uh, Todd Asmus, Mike Stefan, come on up. Uh, someone over here maybe. Uh, all right, Aaron, good choice. Aaron's one of our elders. We'll, let, we'll uh, pick on one of our elders this morning. Aaron Smith coming up. Now, guys, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to have you take a seat on the stools over here. And uh, just have a seat, and I'll get to you guys in a minute. Uh, take whatever seat you like. But we need to understand the reality of the bad situation, the dire situation, desperate, desperately bad situation we face as human beings today. Okay? We need to know the, good, the bad news before we can fully appreciate the good news. Now here is the bad news. All right, The bad news is right here. Behind these guys we have this curtain, we have this doorway, and this represents the presence of God. It represents the holy presence of God. And here is the bad news, friends. You might not think, what's so bad about the holy presence of God? Friends, it's bad news. Okay? It's bad news because God is holy. The Bible tells us this all over us, some 50 sometimes throughout Scripture. First Samuel, there is no one like our holy God. First Peter, God is holy. First John 1 5, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. All over the Bible, we hear messages of God's holiness, 
And the word holiness simply means set apart, morally pure, distinct. God has no sin in him whatsoever. He is morally pure, morally perfect. And not only does God have no sin in him, as our sign over here says, spot, stain, strictly forbidden, God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. See, God is holy. He is completely set apart from sin. Now here's the problem. You guys got big trouble coming this morning. I just got to warn you here. You're, you're going to be like, what did I get myself into here in a minute? Here's the problem. The problem, friends, is that the Bible tells us that as human beings, we are stained with a spiritual disease, a spiritual condition called sin. And our sin stains us And because of the stain of sin that we all carry around with us, we then are inherently separated from our creator God because of his holiness. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Genesis 3 talks about the fall of Adam and Eve, our spiritual forefathers. When they rebelled against God, that ushered into humanity and into creation a reality known as the fall. And all of the earth was corrupted, including men and women. We were corrupted by sin. We fell from the grace that God had created us to experience and live in, in his presence. And we have now been stained with sin. And all of us are born with this original sin. King David in Psalm 51.5 says, surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. All of us have sin. Romans Romans 3.10-12 says, there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. Okay, this is our problem. So all of us, we all inherit this reality of original sin. And we're all stained with this reality of original sin. And so we're going to pour some of this original sin here into this bucket. And this bucket that we have here represents our guilt and shame. Our guilt and shame in the eyes of our holy creator, God. You see, we're all guilty because of our sin. God is holy. He's morally pure. He has no sin in him. And the sin that we are corrupted with causes us to be guilty in his eyes. But on top of our guilt, we experience shame as a result of our sin because we know we're, we're falling short of what God has, ex- has created us to be and to experience. And so when we sin, it creates this greater separation, this division between us and our creator God. And that's a major problem for us, friends, because, because of our sin, we can never enter into God's presence again. Now, all of us have sinned, the Bible says. These guys, I know these guys personally. I can guarantee you these guys have sinned, all right? These guys are a mess, all right? Now, now here's the deal. The Bible talks about all kinds of different offenses, moral offenses that we commit against our holy creator God. And we're calling them filth here this morning, right? We got our big bucket of filth. And this is all the junk, all the stuff we do, the sins that we commit that further heaps guilt and shame upon us in the eyes of our holy God. So, so we've got sins like greed, and we got sins like lust, we got sins like pride, we got sins like jealousy, right? I mean, uh, what else? What are you, I mean, you guys have committed a bunch of sins. What else do we got? Uh, <laughs> lying, stealing, right? Using the Lord's name in vain. I mean, all kinds of things that we commit filthy sins in the eyes of a holy God that leads us, leaves us with this big old bucket of guilt and shame, right? Now here's the deal. The Bible says that all of us are stained with the reality of sin. 
you guys are in trouble, right? You guys are gonna wonder what I volunteer here for in a minute, right? So Todd here, Todd represents the guy that I call Mr. Little Sinner, all right? There's a lot of people in our world like Todd. They're not, they're not really like overtly bad people. But again, the reality is, is we're all stained with sin according to scripture, right? The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We got other guys like Mike. He, he's, he's what I call Mr. Medium Sinner, right? And Mike would be representative of a lot of us. All right, Mike's a pretty good guy. If some of you know him, he's a good guy, but I guarantee you, you know, he's not perfect. He wrestles with sin. He wrestles with following God faithfully all the time. But more often than not, I mean, he, he walks in God's ways, but he stumbles and falls. And, and, and so he's just kind of like the average dude out there. And, and he has a little bit more sin on him, all right? He's Mr. Medium Sinner. So he's, he's got covered with sin here and he's full of filth and guilt and shame. Now we come to Aaron and... <laughs> white shirt. And I'm not, <laughs> Aaron's an elder here, all right? But if anything, that just shows you how gracious God is. Because, <laughs> because Aaron here, this is Mr. Big Sinner. And trust me, Aaron, this guy, there are some people in our world who just revel in their sin. And they are just covered with filth. I mean, you know, and they don't even think anything of it. They just keep going through life covered with guilt and shame. And, and they're just covered, filthy, dirty. Now here's our problem. The Bible says our sin leads to death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. You see, because of these guys' sin, the stain of sin that they carry, and friends, keep in mind, these guys represent all of us, right? If you don't think you're a sinner today, just come on up here. I got a bucket for you if you want, and I, we'll, we'll, we'll fix that real quick. All of us are sinful, and our sin separates us from a holy God, and that leads to death. See, that's our inherent problem as human beings. We were made to live in the presence of God in a relationship with God, but because God is holy and we are stained with sin, we got a big problem. Galatians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22 says that no sinner will inherit the kingdom of God. You guys are in big trouble. I mean, seriously, you guys are in trouble, right? You're stained with sin. What are you going to do? This is our problem. But friends, fortunately, our sermon doesn't end here this morning. See, today's passage has a word of hope for us. And it reminds us of why the gospel of Jesus Christ is really just so amazing. Let me give you some background before we go into Zechariah chapter 3. If you recall, we are in the midst of a series of visions that God gave Zechariah. God gave Zechariah, the prophet of Israel, a series of eight visions all in a single night. Last week we saw the first three. Today we're looking at the fourth of these eight visions. And these were visions of hope given by God to the remnant of the Jews who had come out of exile in Babylon. The Jewish people, they had spent the last 70 years exiled in Babylon as a result of their sins. God had miraculously restored them, brought them back to the promised land. He had commissioned them to rebuild the city, to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. But they were experiencing discouragement. They were experiencing failure and pain and defeat because of the circumstances all around them. Their city was in ruins, their temples laying in a heap of rubble. They are spiritually defiled, they're discouraged, right? And this is where God speaks to the Jewish people with these visions. And Zechariah 3 today, the vision that God gives that we're gonna look at today, was a vision specifically to speak to the spiritual discouragement the Jewish people were facing. 
You see, they knew that they were covered in sin. They knew that they were defiled. They knew that they had no right to stand in the presence of their holy God. But the problem was their temple laid in ruins. They had no way to remedy their sin. They knew that they were called to go to the temple to make sacrifices, that the priests would sacrifice on their behalf to, give us a, to make a guilt offering for their sin. But that didn't exist, and they were spiritually discouraged, wondering if they would ever be made right in the eyes of God again. And so here in Zechariah chapter three, God speaks a word of hope, a word of encouragement. Powerful truths, even for us today, that we're gonna see gospel truths present here in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Let's read this vision account here. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then, Joshua, then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sin under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Wow. Man, what a picture of the gospel we have here in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, 2,500 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And God was already proclaimed, or 500 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, 2,500 years ago for us today, powerful gospel truths that are still just as relevant for us as they were for God's people 2,500 years ago. I wanna highlight three gospel truths that we see here in this passage today really the good news as opposed to the bad news that we've just been talking about. Gospel truth number one that this passage highlights for us this morning, in Christ we have a defender against accusation. In Christ we have a defender against accusation. Our passage today begins by highlighting the serious situation the Jews found themselves in. Their spiritual corruption and their unworthiness to enter into the presence of God. Joshua here in our passage in Zechariah, Joshua the high priest, he was the high priest in charge of the remnant, in charge of the remnant of the Jews who had come back out of exile. And the setting here in Zechariah 3 is a heavenly courtroom scene. And Joshua the high priest who is representative of all the Jewish people is standing here in this heavenly courtroom and he is wearing filthy clothes. He's wearing filthy clothes. Now, the Hebrew word for filthy there is the worst possible word that the Bible could use in Hebrew. It literally means human excrement or vomit. His clothes are covered in filth. Excrement and vomit representing his sin, the people's sin, in the eyes of a holy God. And Zechariah tells us that Joshua, he is guilty as charged. 
He is covered in filth. And he has no right to stand in the presence of God. And there are two other figures here in this courtroom. There's the angel of the Lord and there's the accuser, Satan. And the accuser, Satan, the word Satan in Hebrew literally means the accuser. And Satan, friends, what you need to understand is Satan, according to Revelations 12, 10, the Bible tells us that Satan stands before the Father day and night to accuse us before God. See, Satan wants nothing more than to see your sin destroy you. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that the thief, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal your joy. He comes to kill your hope. He comes to destroy your soul. And he stands day and night in the presence of God to accuse us of our sin. Now, friends, you need to understand how the accuser works, okay? You see, the accuser, the way he works is he tells lies to us, but he tells the truth to God. You need to understand this. This is really important. Satan tells lies to us, but he tells the truth to God. You see, he comes to us and he says, Todd, hey, oh, brother, man, you're not that bad. I mean, you just got one little spot here. I mean, you know, you, you, you have nothing to worry about, Todd. You're all good. And then he comes over and he, he sees Mike and he says, yeah, Mike, you know, it, it doesn't look too good here. All right, you, you, you're a little bit more uh, covered in some filth, but, but here's the, Mike, look at Compared to this guy, right? I mean, Mike, you're in good shape. I mean, compared to that guy, you, you, got, you got nothing to worry about, Mike. You're good to go. And then he comes over to Aaron and he says, oh, man, Aaron. <laughs> Dude, you got problems. You are, you are just a mess. In fact, you, you, there's no hope for you, Aaron. You got no hope of ever being made right with God. And so, Aaron, you might as well just continue to revel in your sin and live it up and swim in your filth because there is no way that God could ever forgive you. Satan lies to us, but he tells the truth to God. How many of you remember that great movie, 1992, A Few Good Men? Remember the courtroom scene, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson? Tom Cruise says to Jack Nicholson, we want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, you want the truth? Tom Cruise says, we want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. Friends, we can't handle the truth. That's why Satan tells the truth about us to God as the accuser. See, Satan comes to God and Satan stands in the presence of God and he says, God, these guys are covered in filth. God, they are stained with sin. God, they have no right to stand in your presence. God, you need to banish these guys for all of eternity. They are guilty. They are covered in filth. God, what are they even doing here on stage in this church? They need to get out of here, God. See, that's how the accuser works. He lies to us, but he tells the truth to God. And the truth, again, friends, that's bad news. He's telling the truth. We have no right to stand in the presence of God. But here's where Jesus makes all the difference. In Zechariah chapter 3, there's one other figure in this heavenly courtroom, and that's the angel of the Lord. Friends, in the Old Testament, when you see references to the angel of the Lord, most of the time, those are pre-incarnate visions of Jesus Christ, the Son. Zechariah 3 here is saying that the Son, Jesus, is standing there in this heavenly courtroom. And the Son, the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, comes to Joshua's defense and Jesus says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. I have chosen this person 
I have chosen these people. They are mine. I have snatched them out of the fire like a burning stick snatched from the fire. I have rescued them. I have a plan and I have a purpose for them. You cannot touch them, Satan, because they are mine. Hands off. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus speaks in our defense too in exactly the same way. 1 John 2 verse 1 tells us that when we sin, Jesus stands as an advocate for us before the Father. We have an advocate with the Father in Jesus Christ. Jesus stands in our defense. And what does Jesus say in our defense? Jesus says, he is mine. He's mine. She's mine. They were bought with a price. Romans 5.8, the Apostle Paul says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ came and he died for us. Jesus stands in our defense and he says, I know these guys are covered in filth. I see that. I see their sin, but I love them so much. I was willing to go to the cross and pay the penalty for their sin so that they could be covered with the blood of Christ, so that they could have their sins washed and cleansed and forgiven and be made right in the eyes of their holy God once again. Friends, if you ever put a price tag on yourself, right, do you ever question what you're worth? If you were ever put a price tag on yourself, do you know what it would have to say? It would have to say Jesus. It would have to say Jesus because that is what you're worth to God. That's the price he paid for you. He sent his son to die on a cross to take our punishment, to take our guilt and our shame upon himself so that we could be made right in the eyes of a holy God. The next time the enemy creeps up and he begins to whisper lies into your ears, friends, I want you to hear the truth of Jesus as he proclaims, you are so loved, you are so valuable, you are of ultimate worth to me. Man, what a, what a defense we have in Jesus. Gospel truth number two we see in our passage this morning. In Christ, we have a deliverer from guilt and shame. We have a deliverer from guilt and shame. Now, not only does Christ come to Joshua's defense against the accuser, but he goes one step further in our passage and he literally removes his guilt and shame and he clothes him in fine garments. And friends, here again, we have a prophetic glimpse of the salvation we have available to us in Jesus Christ. Joshua is covered in filth, excrement, vomit in the eyes of a holy God. God not only comes to his defense, but God removes his guilt and shame and covers him with clean garments. What a picture of the gospel. This past winter, I had the opportunity to go to Lambeau Field in Green Bay for the Vikings-Packer game. And uh, it, it wasn't much of a game, if you recall. I think the Packers were up by like 40 points at halftime. But uh, we, won't, we won't talk about that. I know that's a sensitive topic for a lot of you guys here. But uh, I remember I was sitting with my uncle there. We were sitting on the 40-yard line, and after one of the many Packer touchdowns in the first half, the, uh, one of the Packer players, he leapt into the stands, you know, doing the classic Lambo leap. And up on the Jumbotron, you know, they're showing everybody cheering this Packers player on, you know, slapping him on the back, everybody's cheering. 
And right next to him, just down the row, was a guy holding a big sign up that said John 3.16. And I remember thinking to myself how weird it was. What a strange sight that here in this stadium, filled with 79,000 people, it was the largest attendance in Packers history up to that point. 79,000 people cheering on these players, cheering on this touchdown, and everybody was completely oblivious to the reality of this sign right next to him, John 3.16. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, how strange in light of eternity. If these people only could see this message in light of eternity, we wouldn't be standing cheering for these players out on this field. We would have 79,000 people in this stadium standing cheering for this sign and the message of hope that we see here. John 3.16, what a powerful presentation of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, friends, some of us who have been Christians for a long time, we, we know this verse like the back of our hand, right? I mean, we've been memorizing this verse since the time we were little kids. And sadly, friends, sadly, so often we just neglect and, and just take for granted the message that we have here in this incredible verse. But I want you to read on the next two verses where Jesus goes on and he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Friends, this is why the gospel is so revolutionary. God has provided a way for us to be saved from the guilt and shame that condemns us in the eyes of a holy God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to be a sin offering for us. In fact, look at these great passages of scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians 1.21, look at this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It gets even better, Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Friends, this is the gospel. This is incredible. God has provided cleansing from our guilt and shame. He's forgiven us of the guilt and the filth that we're stained with. He's made a way for us to come back into his presence. And friends, you want to know what the most incredible part of this whole gospel is? It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. We did nothing to deserve this. Look at Zechariah 3 again. Joshua, the high priest, he's standing in this heavenly courtroom. He's being accused by the adversary. Jesus comes to his defense, rebukes Satan, and Jesus gives him clean clothes. Joshua did nothing to deserve that. 
Joshua did nothing to earn his right to be in the presence of God. Joshua did nothing to deserve those new clothes. But Jesus, in his love, in his grace, removes his filthy garments. And for no reason other than his grace and his love, he clothes Joshua with new, clean garments to make him right again in the eyes of our holy God. It's all about Jesus. Friends, there's, there's nothing that we've done to deserve his grace and love. God, the Bible tells us that God chose us in him in the, before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God had you in mind and your salvation in mind and God had a plan and purpose for each one of you to save you, to rescue you. There's nothing you can do about that. You can't earn that. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It's a free gift that Jesus paid for when he died on the cross for us. It's all about God. And he did it because he loves you. Man, this is why the gospel is called good news. There is no greater news than that. And here's the deal. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he, he covers our sin with his shed blood. And as Zechariah 3 shows us, he then clothes us with new garments. We become clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He provides a covering for our sins. And how does this take place? It's, this is what's amazing. It's a free gift. Look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Friends, salvation, the gospel, it's good news because it's not about us, it's about what God has done for us. And when we accept this gift by faith, Jesus promises to clothe us in his righteousness to cover our guilt and shame. Todd, let me ask you, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Mike, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Aaron, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Guys, I'm gonna tell you, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how much sin you have covered with, it doesn't matter the filth, the stains you have on your shirt. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, he promises to forgive you, he promises to cleanse you, he promises to clothe you in his righteousness. This is incredible. Jesus has a gift for you guys this morning. Jesus has a gift. You are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Why don't you put that on, Todd? Jesus covers your guilt. He covers your shame. He clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. Put on these clean garments and know that your sins have been forgiven. You've been washed clean by the grace of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can now, once again, enter into the presence of our holy God. Friends, let's give these guys a round of applause. You're free to go. That's the gospel, friends. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We have a defender. We have a deliverer. And lastly, number three today, I close with this. In Christ, we have a direction for living. In Christ, we have a direction for living. God comes to Joshua's defense. The angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, comes to his defense. He clothes them in his righteousness. And then he commissions Joshua to live for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. 
God commissions Joshua, he tells him, Joshua, you and your associates here, the other priests, you are gonna represent me and my gospel to the Jewish people. When they look to you, they are gonna see the coming promise of the Messiah, my servant, the branch, the stone, all Old Testament metaphors for the coming Messiah. When they look to you, priests, they will see the representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So go now and live faithfully to serve me and for my glory. Friends, do you think Joshua argued with God when he received his commission? You want me to do what? I'm I'm not really sure I'm your guy, God. Friends, do you think Joshua argued with God when he received that commission? (laughs) I bet not. Not after what he just experienced in that vision, right? He was covered in filth right? I'm covered in a shirt full of excrement and God just delivered me and now God says, Joshua, I'm calling you to go live for me. Sign me up, God. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever you ask because you took off my guilt and my shame and this excrement and vomit. You delivered me. I'm your man, God, whatever it is you want. And like Joshua, friends, we too have been commissioned to live for Christ, to point people to the hope of the good news of the gospel. And when we've experienced the power of the gospel, it begins to radically reshape all of our priorities. It changes everything about our priorities. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who should live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul here says that Christ's love compels us. It compels us. What does that mean? Well, friends, when you understand what Christ has done for us, when you fully appreciate the message of the gospel, when you appreciate the fact that you were once covered in excrement and vomit, In the eyes of a holy God, that's what your filth is like. You are guilty. You are stained with this nasty garbage in the eyes of a holy God. And yet God, because of nothing that you did, but out of his grace and love, God rescued you. He saved you. He delivered you. Friends, when you understand that, what wouldn't you do for that God who saved you? That's what Paul's talking about. Christ's love compels us. You want me to do what, God? You want, God, you, you want me to honor you with my body? I'm your man, God. Anything you ask. I was covered in filth and you delivered me. God, you want me to, you want me to live for you in my workplace? Sign me up, God, I'm your man because I was wearing a shirt covered in excrement and you saved me. I'm your guy. God, what, you, you want me to share the good news of the gospel with my neighbor? God, I'm your man because I was wearing a shirt stained with vomit and your love shed that off of me and clothed me with your righteousness. I will do anything you ask, Lord. God, you want me to give a portion of my income back to you and your kingdom? Whatever you ask, God, I'll give you all of it because I was covered in filth and you saved me. Anything you want, God. You want me to live and honor my wife and my kids and be a faithful husband? I'll do it my whole life without question, no matter how hard it gets, because I was stained with sin and broken and unworthy. 
and you rescued me. Anything, God, anything. That's what Paul's talking about. Friends, when you understand the gospel and all that it means, Christ's love compels us. It transforms us. It changes everything about us, our priorities, what we live for. My prayer for us this morning is that we might leave here today with a greater appreciation for all that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, some of us who have been believers for a while, you know, maybe it's been a while since you really dwelt on the message of the gospel and gave thanks for really all that we have in the gospel. And maybe this morning is a time for you to recommit to living your life in light of gospel priorities and our calling to live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Maybe there are people here this morning who you're hearing this message and you're saying, Jason, I, I, I don't have any of this stuff that you're talking about. This stuff you've talked about today, I've never heard this. I've never embraced this. I, I need everything you're talking about because I'm one of these guys sitting on this stool covered in filth. And if that's you this morning, if you're covered in your filth and guilt and shame and you know that you are a sinner in the eyes of a holy God, if the accuser is whispering into your ear every day telling you what a loser you are, telling you how perverse you are and how screwed up you are, Jesus has a message for you. He says, I love you and you do not need to be condemned to your sin. I came to deliver you from your guilt and deliver you from your shame. And friend, if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, even here this morning, he will remove your filthy garments and he will clothe you in his righteousness and you can be made right with our creator again. You can come into a relationship with our holy God. And friends, it's a free gift. All you do is have to accept it by faith by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. I wanna pray this morning and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray with me this morning if you would like to claim these promises for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the powerful vision of the gospel that we've seen this morning in this prophecy in the book of Zechariah. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord, how you have delivered us from our guilt and shame. Lord, none of us, deserves to stand in your presence. None of us deserves to be called your children, but because of your great love for us, Lord, you have rescued us. You have provided a way for us to be freed from the guilt and sin and the filth that condemns us. Thank you, Jesus, for your son, for the gift of grace, for the salvation that we have in him. Lord Jesus, if there's anybody here this morning, maybe somebody who has never claimed the promise of the gospel for themselves, Lord, I just pray that right now in the quiet of their own hearts that you might draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit. That you might draw them to you, Lord, to say a simple prayer, something like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me of my sin? I want to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I put my trust in you today, Jesus. And friends, if you pray a simple prayer like that, a prayer of faith, God will cleanse you, he will make you a new creation, and you can know the joy of living in a right relationship with our creator. Jesus, we thank you for all you've done for us. God, let us leave here today with a renewed vision, a renewed perspective of all that we have in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.